Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved." and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Well, we continue in the season of Lent, and this season frequently calls us to acknowledge our own mortality. The expression in Scripture that we so often hearken to is that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Lent begins with this practice of Ash Wednesday whenever we come before, uh, we come before the Lord receiving ashes as a symbol of penitence, acknowledging that we are finite, we are small, and yet God still loves us even in that. Yesterday, we celebrated the life of Joe Horton here in this very sanctuary, and Reverend Jenny Hendricks was here and uh, spoke for his funeral, and in doing so, she called us to remember death as the great equalizer, whether rich or poor, black or white, the fortunate and the least of these will all one day touch this milestone that we call death, the great equalizer. And this past, uh, these past couple of weeks recently, I've had a lot of time to reflect on death with the passing of my mother, with the passing of Joe, and with this passage today from Ephesians, which reminds us, even in verse 1, that we were dead through the trespasses and sins in which we once lived. Death. Now, I promise we're not going to spend too much time lingering here in this very uh, depressing moment, this uh, kind of downing uh, word. But the thing that has fascinated me with, uh, as I've been reflecting on that word recently, has been this notion of the self-made person. Perhaps you've heard this expression before, and I promise there will be a, a linkage here that makes more sense than what I'm saying. But this notion of the self-made person, it, it means to embody an individual who made a great life for themselves. When someone passes away, we, uh, we spend a lot of time reflecting on the things that they did and what made them special. 
we have this obituary and this eulogy and this time of celebrating their life and everything and, and, and really exploring how this person might have been a self-made person. And I think this is a beautiful thing, honestly. It's, it's wonderful to celebrate the life of uh, someone whom we have loved and to acknowledge what did make them special. Yet, it's incomplete, I think. It fails to recognize something very important, that the self-made person cannot create themselves. In other words, the self-made person cannot bring themselves into existence. The self-made person cannot save themselves from death, the great equalizer. And the self-made person cannot save themselves from their sins, as our Ephesians passage points out to us today. In other words, the notion of the self-made person, the person who can pick themselves up by their bootstraps, the person who is uh, to be praised for making something of themselves, does not acknowledge the social nature of our existence. We are social creatures. First, there is the social network that we exist within. I don't know um, if you've recently like, experienced the process of applying for a job or trying to, I don't know, do something with, uh, in, in your life. Uh, it's, I've, I've learned recently that the whole process of applying for a job is has very little these days to do with how much you know or how much you are good at something. It's far more about who you know, the network that you are connected with. It's that network that allows you to get that job. <laughs> that plenty of unqualified people have the jobs they have simply because of the network. And so we acknowledge in this, uh, in this very simple attribute of our society that being a self-made person is already an incomplete statement because so much about who we are is people-made. We have our families, the people who raised us, the people we grew up alongside that helped shape who we are. We have the communities that we exist within, the society that we exist within. Can you imagine if instead of growing up uh, here in the, in the U.S., if this is where you grew up, instead of growing up here, you grew up in, um, let's say, Tibet. How different might your life be if you grew up in Tibet compared to how you grew up here? So much of who we are is about that network, that social nature of us being human, not as much about the being a self-made person. And then, and perhaps most importantly, there is the God who made it all possible. And so for today, I want us to begin considering, rather than the self-made person, considering being mindful of the God-made person, the person whose life, everything about who they are, can only ever be attributed to the way that God has impacted their lives. Consider what God has done for us primarily uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 here. This, uh, which by the way, these 10 verses, our English makes it nicer for us and breaks it up into a couple of sentences. Uh, in the original Greek that Paul is writing in here, it's one very long sentence. 
It's very difficult to read in the original Greek because it's just one, it's a bunch of these thoughts just compiled together. And it starts out, you, aka we, were dead through the trespasses and sins in which we once lived. And then, skip a few because he's going to just keep rambling for a second. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of our flesh and senses. And we were, by nature, children of wrath. But God, this is still the same sentence, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So this is, this is a very powerful concept here. Paul is using the word, you, we, he's saying you, you were dead. The Greek word here is nekros, nekros, which actually means, if you were to translate it literally, it doesn't have some abstract notion to it. It simply is an entity which has no life within it, no breathing, no heart rate, a... a what in the medical field calls an expired individual. There is nothing left. That's the exact same word that Paul is using here. So, so keep that in mind whenever he's saying, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, even when there was nothing left for us to offer, even when we were finished, that God, rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, always important whenever there's a so that expression, for the purposes of, in the age to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. That's a very hard word, uh, expression for us to receive in the society that we live in. This is not your own doing. You did nothing, nothing to make this possible. By grace you have been saved. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. <clears throat> this right here, Paul is trying to get us to acknowledge that who we are in Christ, if we are to hold on to the title Christian, if we are to be a part of the living church in the world today, we must acknowledge that there is no such thing as the self-made person in the church, in Christ. There is only the God-made person. There is only the person who is part of this collective family. This notion here is what we call grace. Grace is probably the most important word that it is, is ever used in the United Methodist doctrine. If you are part of the United Methodist Church, there is only one word that you need to know as most important, and that is grace. As Kristen and I were going through our ordination interviews and this whole process of being ordained in the United Methodist Church, it is just grace on top of grace on top of grace. You have to know that in grace, there are three different forms of grace, provenient grace, justifying grace, 
and sanctifying grace. Prevenient grace or preventing grace is grace that comes before. This is the grace which says God has been at work in your life from the beginning of time. Not just from the beginning of your life, but from the beginning of time, God has been present. God has been mindful of who you are. God has been prepared to be present with you. And from the moment of your existence, God has not left your side. This is prevenient grace, the grace that comes before in which God has always been present, drawing you nearer to God's self. And then there is justifying grace. This is the grace that works in cooperation with our recognition of God's presence in our life. As we acknowledge that God is present with us, as we acknowledge our own humanity and our need to be with God, to be so very present, enfolded and entangled into that holy relationship, the justifying grace of God comes into play. And that justifying grace is really what Paul is talking about here in, in this Ephesians passage, that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses in which we once lived, God, in God's great mercy and love, made us alive together in Christ. That's justifying grace right there. That no matter who we have been, no matter what we have done, God says, my love is greater. My grace is greater than that. And says, I am taking you with me. I want you to be in this holy communion with me. That's justifying grace. And then justifying grace immediately spurs on the process of sanctifying grace. Uh, there's another step in there that... Uh, John Wesley, the founder of modern United Methodism, called uh, regeneration or sometimes spiritual respiration. That's a whole other thing that gets really complicated to talk about. But it will, for our purposes today and the sake of time, uh, we have this notion of sanctifying grace. Anybody know the root of the word sanctifying? To sanctify means to make holy. To make holy. That's what we're talking about in this, in, uh, in this entire series as we go through the season of Lent. We're talking about holiness, most particularly, as John Wesley pointed out, that there is no holiness but social holiness. This is what we were talking about, being made holy in Christ. For what purpose is the next question we come to. For what purpose are we made holy? I want you to consider this for just a moment. Why? Are we made holy? Isn't it enough for us to just be saved? This is where the, one of my favorite parts of United Methodism says that that moment of salvation, that moment of justification, as United Methodism would call it, is only just the beginning. It doesn't stop there. Our spiritual journey continues on. And in fact, the best part is still yet to come from that. We go through the process of being made holy, being sanctified through the grace of God. And for what purpose? This is the end of our Ephesians passage. Verse 10, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is a moment of identity. To be our way of life is to be 
an individual of good works. And now here's where it, it, it often gets tangled up in the mix and everything because, wait, I thought we just talked about how good works don't do enough. Like good works can't save us. Yes, absolutely, good works cannot save us. We are saved by grace alone through faith. There, there is zero activity that we can do to make ourselves worthy of that or to accomplish that on our own. Works do not equal salvation. Rather, it is the opposite way. Salvation spurs us on to good works. That whole process of being made holy says that your life in justifying grace at that moment of salvation has been transformed. And everything that we once lived for in the former life, as Paul described it, dead in the sins and trespasses in which we once lived, all of that gets rewritten in our very DNA that we get shifted to say, my life is about more than me and my selfish desires and the things that I crave for myself. My life is now God-made. I'm not a self-made person. I am a God-made person. And, and it, it is meant to shift our entire worldview, our entire perspective to understand that the only way we can satisfy this, this longing that rests within our soul, this desire to break forth in joy at our salvation and at this process of being made holy is to then go out and love people as God loved us. Have you, have you ever had a cup and you start filling it up with some beverage of your choice and then you keep filling it up? At some point, you know that you have to stop filling that cup up because otherwise, what's it going to do? It's going to spill over, right, and, and perhaps you've gotten distracted before, and it starts spilling over. What happens to all the fluid, all the liquid that spills over? It goes everywhere. It just, I mean, it makes a big mess. This is the process of sanctification. The love of God is being poured into our lives like a fire hose, and if you've ever taken a fire hose to a cup, it fills up pretty quickly, and then just starts spilling out everywhere. And that spillage, that mess that we might see is the love of God trying to permeate the rest of our community, trying to break through, through social holiness. These are the good works for which we have been created. Because once we get so filled up, we have to let that out. We have to let that be our very existence, letting that spill out everywhere. We are sanctified, justified by grace, through faith, so that these good works might permeate the earth, might be, become the reality of our community, so that, there's more so that's there, we come back, uh, uh, so that in the ages to come, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, that the world might know the great love of God. This is what we are God-made people for. We are created for good works. And so this notion of social holiness embodies the good works for which we were created. That's why John Wesley said, there is no holiness but social holiness. Because once God opens the fire hose and starts pouring into our cup, it's going to overflow. 
And we might have this tendency to try to clean up the mess around us, but God is like, no, let it keep spilling over. Let it keep pouring out in your good works and your love, the way that you care for your community. Let it keep going. That is social holiness. That is why John Wesley said there's no holiness but social holiness, because in the process of being made holy, we inevitably must connect socially with one another. It drives us to good works, not for ourselves, not out of our self-interest, but because God is a God who so loved the world. Thank you, John 3.16. So as we continue through this season of Lent, this time of preparation, this time of anticipation for the resurrection of Christ. And as we go through this season of Lent and begin considering what our church is being molded to become through the great love of God for our community, let us remember that we are God-made people created for good works. Last week, I, I, I wish I could have been here for it, but uh, I was able to, to uh, read through Will's sermon. As Will was up here uh, preaching, he gave us this call to be renewed, to be renewed. He gave us this call last week to reflect, to prepare, to plan as we seek to move forward through Lent. And so today I want to reemphasize this, what, what Will brought for us last week this notion that in the season of Lent, we are being prepared for something incredible. Y'all, I don't know if you've noticed, but God is doing something incredible here. God has looked upon Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church and said, I'm not finished with you yet. Now it's our turn to say, okay, God, what do you want us to do? For we are God-made people. The church is a God-made institution created for good works. And through this season of Lent, just as each individual Christian prepares themselves for the resurrection, so too now must the church as a social institution prepare itself for what God is about to do. We are created for good works. And so I want to, I want to uh, re-emphasize what Will said last week and call us to remember that we are created for good works, inspired by the saving grace and mercy of our God. That what God is doing here at Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church is not for Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church to hold on to. This isn't some mess that God wants us to clean up. This is the kind of overflow, the spilling out of the cup that God wants to get everywhere, all across Mobile, perhaps even to the ends of the earth. Yes, God can do that through the church. And so my challenge for us this week is to be renewed for good works, to reflect, prepare, and plan through the season of Lent, as Will called us to, as we seek to move forward through Lent, to remember that we are created for good works inspired by the saving grace and mercy of our God. So let us move forward onto good works as a church. Let us strive for social holiness as a community of faith. Let us acknowledge that we are God's own people and God has called us higher. And let us pray.